John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have these people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for this young man, Josh, who stood here and read beautifully the account of you, Christ Jesus, testing Philip, revealing to us that you test your disciples while all the time knowing what you will do. Lord, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who even now illuminates our hearts and minds with this passage. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the way in which these words are spoken and heard. Transform our lives, O Lord, that we might be used by you to make known to the world that you are the bread of life. You are the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Feed us, we ask Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. This miracle as I said last week, is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. It's a significant miracle. They all are. But there's so much for us to learn about Jesus looking up and seeing a crowd, having compassion on that crowd, and then feeding the crowd. Last week, I talked about the test. Verse 7, it says that, or verse 6 actually, that Jesus said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. He had asked Philip, the disciple most familiar with the area where they were, how will we feed these people? And Philip had no faith. He failed the test. And I said last week it was because he was overwhelmed 
by the crowd, overwhelmed by the circumstances, overwhelmed by his own limits and indeed their own limits. But he was not overwhelmed by Jesus. The word overwhelm means to overpower, especially with superior forces. It means to destroy and to crush. It means to cover or bury beneath a mass of something. And there, Philip was overwhelmed by the weight of the crowd, by the weight of the need. But he was not overwhelmed by Jesus. He was not overwhelmed by that superior force. He was not weighed down by the glory which Jesus Christ possessed. And so he failed the test. He could not see that Jesus was capable of doing more than he could even imagine. Instead, he saw the impossible circumstance and believed that it would maintain its impossibility. But then Jesus does the amazing. He does the miracle. This morning, I want to look at it from three ways. I want to look at the providence of God in preparing the meal. There are many miracles, my friends, happening behind the scenes of just the feeding. So I want to look at the providence of God. And I want to look at the power of God. And then I want to look at the pleasure of God. The providence of God is seen throughout this miracle. First, we understand the providence of God because he tells us, Jesus says, he said this to test him but he knew all along what he would do. This miracle, as I said last week, reveals the omniscience of God. God knows everything. There's nothing God can ever learn. That is an amazing thought. You and I are so limited. We can always learn, but not God. So we saw the omniscience. He knew what he would do. We also saw the omnipotence, that he did indeed take this bread and these fish He multiplied them and fed all of them. The providence of God, though, is also present in every aspect of the miracle. But where? First, there's this boy. Now, this boy was created by God. And in God's providence, he knew that this boy would be present in this crowd. Now remember, because of the other gospel accounts, we know that there were women and children present also. So it's possible that there were fifteen to 20,000 people present here on this grassy area. And as Jesus looked up, he saw the crowds coming. He had compassion on them. But he knew. He knew that there was a boy. We do not know the age of the boy. But the boy was there. And in God's providence, that boy had five barley loaves and two fish. Now, barley loaves are food fit for animals. It's actually what Roman soldiers who were being disciplined would be fed. It was a miserable meal. It was very inexpensive. It's what the poor would eat. And the fish that he had were little, maybe like the size of anchovies, just very, very small. But in God's providence, this boy was in that crowd. And in God's providence, this boy had in his possession... Five barley loaves and two fish. And in God's providence, this boy was found in the midst of 15 or 20,000 people. That's amazing. And in God's providence, this boy, among all of those people, was brought forward to Jesus. And in God's providence, this boy surrendered his meal. Or what he was going to sell to make a little money. 
In God's providence, this boy with this food found at this time was brought forward to Jesus. And Jesus knew it would happen. He knew it would be this boy. He knew what the circumstances were. And here's what's amazing. Children in those days were very insignificant. There were no books written about child-centered parenting. A little boy would have been easily just disappearing in the midst of all the people. But it tells us something about the way in which God works. God takes the insignificant. He takes the poorest of things. And he does what only he could do. I believe today and every Sunday, there are people visiting this church, members or friends, regularly attending or not, who see themselves as insignificant, who see themselves as being one who who might say, I am nothing and I have nothing. I have nothing to give, no gifts, no money. But I want to tell you, in God's grace and in God's economy, if you are in Christ, you have more than enough to bring to Jesus. In God's economy, What you bring can be multiplied into making known the bread of life all over the world. No matter how large your salary, no matter how big your inheritance or how small. You may think in walking into a place like this that you really don't have much that matters. My friends, Jesus took five very, very poor, very bad quality loaves of bread two small fish from an insignificant boy and fed the masses. Perhaps today God has you here to draw you to himself, to say that because you are in Christ, you have more than enough. You see, in God's providence, this young boy who is present now in front of Jesus possesses food. And in God's providence, he was brought forward by Andrew. In God's presence, for a moment, Andrew had faith. He sees this little boy, I'm not sure where in the crowd, and he brings him forward. And for a moment, unlike Philip, who had no faith, Andrew shows a little faith. Here is a boy with five loaves, five barley loaves and two fish. There's a pause, and then he says, but what are they for so many? Well, what are they? What are they? What do you have? What do you have that you could bring? What is it? They are small things taken from the hand of a little boy or from his basket and put in the hands of the omnipotent God, the all-powerful God. And what the Lord does is he multiplies this meal and feeds the masses, overwhelming the people with his power and his grace. So in the providence of God, this miracle takes place. In the providence of God, we then move to the power of God in satisfying the masses. I want you to think about this. This is one of those stories that if you grew up in the church, you heard often, maybe with a flannel board. Maybe it's a story, even if you didn't grow up in the church, you were familiar with. My friends, it's so easy to grow numb to the power of what took place. And this miracle was recorded in each gospel. 5,000 men 
perhaps 15 to 20,000 people gathered in one place following a man who was healing the sick, who was doing miraculous things. But though he was doing those miraculous things, the physical needs and the reality of what it meant to be a mom and a dad with their family along was real. The people would get hungry. They would need a place to sleep. And so there as the crowd comes, Jesus looks up. He has compassion on the crowd. In his providence, the boy is brought forward. In his providence, the boy's elements, the the bread and the fish, are handed over from his hands into the hands of Jesus. And there we see the power of God at work in satisfying the masses. Look at it with me. Go with me to verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks... Okay, let's stop. A strange man comes to this little boy. He sees what he has. He brings him through the crowd to Jesus. The young boy, maybe he knows something about Jesus, maybe not, sees Jesus. Jesus then takes his food. He takes his five loaves and he takes his two fish. It's all he has. I imagine if I was there, I would have been thinking, you can't have it all. You can't have it all. You know, I need something for myself or maybe even a little to make money. But there is no sense of this little boy pausing. Jesus takes and receives this from the boy. It says, Jesus took the loaves, and then he gave thanks. This is amazing to me. Picture the little boy. He has surrendered his possession to Christ. Christ now possesses those loaves and those fish. And what does Jesus do? He prays. He gives thanks to the Father. I want you to think about the little boy's face. What was he thinking as Christ spoke? Do you know the Lord delights in using us? I'll talk about that more in a minute. But here is an amazing picture that the one who intercedes on our behalf, that's what Scripture says, even when this little boy brings this forward, he takes these simple things and he gives the Father thanks. And then what does Jesus do? He gives the food to the disciples and they begin to distribute it. And then in the power of God, that which was in the possession of the little boy, then in the possession of Christ, is now being multiplied time and time again as other people's hands receive this food, this bread and this fish, and they take of it and they eat. How much did they eat? Well, we're told. As the story continues... Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. I have no idea how much that was. But it tells us in the very next verse, and when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples to gather up the leftover fragments, for nothing was to be lost. Every person there receive from the hands of another this meal multiplied by Christ. Everyone. Everyone had enough to eat. When the mother would say, would you like any more? There was more to give. When a father would say, would you like some more? There was more to give. Each of the disciples used by God were transferring this food and their hands were never empty. Never. 
God was supplying the need continually. His omnipotence was represented. The power of God was satisfying the masses. But how did he do it? And this is where I really want you to lean in. He did it by using the disciples. Here we see the pleasure of God ministering to the masses through the disciples. It's the pleasure of God to use his children, to use his people to minister to the masses. Here's what I mean. Jesus Christ said he knew what he would do. Jesus Christ knew that he had the power to do what he would do, but he could have done it any way that he wanted. God could have fed these people any way that he wanted. God could have simply cried down. Christ could have cried to the Father, and manna could have rained down from heaven. As we're told in another part of the gospel, Gospels, they put them in groups of 50 or 100, there could have simply been piles of bread waiting for them. The Lord could have dropped a loaf into the hands of all the people who were there. He could have done it any way that he wanted. He could have caused a miraculous catch to happen there on the sea. Any way he wanted, Jesus could have did it. But he wanted to do it this way. And the way he wanted to do it, and the normal way he continues to do it, is to use his disciples to multiply the meal, to multiply the work of the bread of life being made known all over the world. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Do you see the ministry of multiplication? Jesus uses a disciple to go and find the young boy. He didn't tell Andrew to do this. He didn't tell the boy to come forward. Andrew, behind the scenes, I believe the Spirit of God moving, went and found the boy. And with just a little faith, he came forward and said, here is one with five loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So the disciple was used to locate the boy. The disciples were also used to organize the people. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. And we're told in other gospels, in groups of 50 or 100. We're also enabled to see that there was a patch of grass, a place of grass for these people to sit. The Lord uses his disciples to locate the boy. The Lord uses his disciples to organize the people. And then the Lord uses the disciples to distribute the food. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And so the Lord, though he could have done it any way, he gives us a vision that he longs to use his children. He longs to use his disciples today, just as then, to make known this meal called the bread of life. Jesus uses the disciples to locate the boy, to organize the people, to distribute the food, and then he uses the disciples to collect the leftovers. And how many baskets of leftovers are there? The same number as there are disciples. Here's Jesus, ever the rabbi. You see, in the Jewish custom, when the sacrifice was made, the food that was collected after the sacrifice was saved. And as the priest went back, they would there serve their slaves that food. Here's Jesus. Here's his disciples. They are servants of Christ. 
slaves of Christ. And now they return. Philip, for one, not having faith, not overwhelmed by Christ. And he has a basket full of bread and fish left over in each of the disciples. My friends, our Lord delights in using his disciples to minister. He delights in using you and me to make known around the world the bread of life. He delights in us. So I want to do something for just a moment. Last Sunday I said, one of the things I love about our church is that there are many different ages represented. We have babies being baptized today. We have elderly who are unable to even be here. And all ages in between, which is beautiful for the body of Christ. But I want to speak to some specific groups this morning. You can place yourself wherever you want, whatever makes you feel better. But it's the same message to all of us. First, children. Many of them are downstairs right now. The last hour was full wall-to-wall with children. Children, if you're able to understand me, I want you to look at me and listen. Jesus teaches us in this story that you matter. There are other places in the gospel where Jesus says, let the little children come to me. He also tells us that the faith of a child is something that's to be admired. We can learn much from our children. Children, you are a child created in God's image. And if at this point in your life you have professed faith in Jesus, I want you to know that you have gifts. You have gifts that can be used by God right now. You have faith that can inspire faith in your parents and in your grandparents. The earnest way in which you ask questions and the profound way in which you believe even in miracles like this can inspire deeper faith in us. Children, this church loves you, wants you, and needs you. We want you to fall more and more in love with Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, parents, uncles and aunts, Sunday school teachers, youth workers, God has given us this covenant promise. He's given us this gift. We have much to learn about the way in which God uses little ones. I have an appointment in a few weeks with a young girl. She's not quite a teenager. This will be our second meeting. Every once in a while, I will preach something that sends her on a journey of study. As the questions grow more and more profound, her parents have invited me into that dialogue. So her mom and dad and this little girl will come to my office. I can't wait. She invited me to this meeting through a letter that she wrote to me. It's beautiful. But as we talk, and I see her faith growing and growing and growing, who will ultimately be more blessed? Me? Or the little girl. It's me, friends. Because there I'm reminded that God uses his little ones, just like he did this little boy, who are often far more willing to surrender all than I am. Though I know so much more, I'm also much more likely to say, not everything. No, not all. But they're so full of hope and joy. They're willing to say, yes, it's yours. Little children, you matter to Christ. You matter to us. Grow in your love for Jesus. Now I want to talk to students of all ages. 
middle school, high school, college. If you are in Christ, you have gifts that the Lord delights in using to make known his message around the world. Many of you will have the opportunity to go on mission trips even this summer. Go. But as you go, go not with the attitude of this is a way to get service hours, but offer up your trip to the Lord. Offer up every letter you're sending for support to people in our church and beyond to the Lord. Ask the Lord to use you. And as you go, ask the Lord to make you ever mindful of the mission field you walk through every day. We're middle school students and high school students, whether it's a Christian school or a public school, are starving to death for real life. They're starving to death to see someone who is secure, to know someone that is secure in their faith. My friends, you sit next to people who are looking to find life in so many different ways, who are so easily tempted to exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. What do they need most from you? They need you to be in love with Jesus Christ. They need you to be so in love with Jesus Christ and so secure in your identity hidden in him that the ways of the world are not attractive to you. That when someone wants to cheat, you have a source of power greater that says, I'm not going to do that. Or at the table when someone shows a picture of something that's really inappropriate, you, you won't look at that. If slander and gossip is happening, you won't partake. And they'll notice that you're different, and that may cost you. But it will be a light. Students, college, high school, middle school, you walk in a mission field with profound opportunity to be used by God, and he delights in using you. Now a little bit older to young adults, whether you're single or married, with children or without, I want to urge you, fall more and more in love with Jesus. Be overwhelmed by the glory of Jesus Christ for who he is. We notice that your generation is deeply desirous of authenticity. We notice that your generation is very willing to give time and energy towards acts of injustice or against injustice. You are eager to make known that there is injustice in the world and something needs to be done about it. And I admire the zeal with which you attack evil in the world. But let me say this. Offer your desires to fight against that evil. Offer those desires to the Lord as this boy offered his fish and his bread. And then what will happen is as you come alongside others who are fighting the same battle but might not be in Christ, you will have a different aroma. You will have the aroma of Jesus Christ you will have the perspective of his justice and of his mercy, which is perfect and doesn't die. Now, while you're willing to give your time, I want to challenge you and all of us to think very differently about our money. Many of you in a young stage of life have bought into the illusion that one day when you make it, whatever that means, 
When you have enough of a financial foundation, then you will begin to give to the church. Well, let me tell you the truth. You won't. It's not as easy as it sounds. And even if it sounded less difficult, even if it sounded like the right thing, it's not. I beg you to see the word of God and to live now financially as he would call you to live. And the Lord calls his people to give to him the first fruits of all of our crops. Not when we turn 30, not when we turn 40, not when we turn 50, but now. My friends, this is a beautiful opportunity for the Lord to reveal to you how he delights when his people will bring to Christ their possessions. Bring to him all and say, it's yours. The Lord delights in using us that way. If you believe in the lie that once we have a firm financial foundation, we will then faithfully give, let me say this. You are not living on a firm foundation. You are building your life on sand. My friends, if you need to learn what it means to be faithful to God with your tithes, your offerings, with all your gifts and all your talents, there's a class that's going to start a week from tonight. It's a crown ministry class. Go and learn. God says so much couple more areas of life. For those who are somewhere in the middle, you can define what the middle is, whatever makes you feel good. But here's what we need to hear. After we've raised our kids, after they have left for college or even are beyond college, the world tells us that it's now time for you. It's now time for you to relax. It's now time for you to rest. The truth is, you probably are very tired. And I would encourage you to rest. But I would encourage you to do that in community, not apart from community, in Christian community, in places where you can serve. My dear friends, whether you are in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, the Lord is not done using you. And the reason I can say that is because the masses that are hungry for the bread of life are still out there. And the Lord delights in using his people and will delight in in using his people all the way until he calls everyone home. All the way until everyone who is going to profess faith in Christ Jesus does. So my friends, don't check the list off and say, I've done nursery. I was a children's Sunday school teacher. I did middle school. I don't need to do that anymore. It's the wrong answer. Ask the Lord, God Almighty, in this season of our life, how do you want to use us now? We need you, and you need us. Okay, the last group. The last group in our church are those who are the oldest, those who have lived the longest and have the greatest wisdom. I'm sad that the devil and the world may tell you that because of your age, You now are limited. My dear brother and sister, you are not limited. You are not limited because you belong to the one who has no limits. The one who is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. You may be watching this service right now through our live stream. 
Because you cannot get out of bed. Your body won't allow it. Or you may be listening to this sermon and it's Tuesday and someone has brought the CD to you or has downloaded it for you to listen. Though your body keeps you inside and in many cases on your back, the omniscient and omnipresent God can take your prayers and with his omnipotence, he can change the world. You can pray prayers that make Satan shudder. And through your prayers, he can save one village, one town, one city, one nation, all for his glory. And then, even after you, saint, have been called home, the powerful God can use your story of rescue, the way in which you lived your life right up to the very end, to save people because of the faithfulness of God in your life while you were still living. So for all of us, it's the same. Christ Jesus delights in using us. I can imagine that boy on that day when he let go of his loaves and fish. And as he sat and watched Jesus give thanks and break it, and as he watched it distribute from Jesus to the disciples to the people, and it just continued for however long it could continue, I can just imagine the boy looking there saying, can it be? And can it be that that is my food that I had being distributed and feeding these masses? And can it be that it's my food, that those 12 men, there's the one that actually found me, they're bringing it forward, there's that much abundance? And can it be that he really did use that which I held and had to feed all these people? And the answer is yes. And that same God delights to use you and you and you and me. And what the world needs most is for us to be overwhelmed by Jesus. So overwhelmed by Christ that we are willing to give our all. Last thought. The overwhelming needs of this world, and they are, those needs are magnificent. The overwhelming needs of this world will cause many to give something. The overwhelming needs of this world will cause many, Christian and non-Christian, to give something. But when we are overwhelmed by Jesus, then we are free to give all. I mean all. Are you overwhelmed by Jesus? I want to be. I want to be like the little boy who took his bread and fish and from his hands, he placed it in the hands of Jesus. Those hands which would soon be nailed to a cross. That the whole world would know that there is one who is the bread of life. And that God in his providence 
and with his power and with the pleasure of using people like me and people like you is going to make that message known. And can it be? And can it be? Yes. Yes. Because he knows what he will do. Is he coming for you today? Are you the boy in the crowd? I want to be. I want to be. And if you're in Christ, may he overwhelm you to the point where that's what you want too, above everything else. Everything. Lord Jesus, you're beautiful beyond description. Your power is beyond measurement. Your love is perfect measurement, so wide, so long, so deep, so high. Jesus, at the end of this miracle, the people wanted to capture you and make you their king. They had the right instinct, but the wrong execution. But then, O Lord, you did become king. You are reigning as our king. And so overwhelm us, Lord, with your glory. Overwhelm us with your grace. Overwhelm us with your goodness. Overwhelm us to the point where we will surrender all and all to you, the one who is worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.